6.51 is the time, three degrees on a Thursday morning, and he went and did it. John Tory said last Friday he was going to submit his resignation, and then there was this great series of gyrations, not by him. It doesn't seem like he ever wavered, but maybe he was listening to some advisors and some friends and some power brokers and some city councillors, but there was a push, and uh, Brad Bradford was one of the people leading it, and there's a certain... I don't know if it's ironic because Brad Bradford is considered a leading contender to be to run for mayor and uh, perhaps be the next one. But he wanted John Tory to stay. And then John Tory handed in his letter of resignation, one page, five paragraphs. Last night, he will walk out of City Hall at 5 p.m. tomorrow afternoon as a private citizen. Um, it was interesting and somewhat... Uh, distressing would be exaggerating it, but watching council unfold yesterday and all of the protests and the chanting and the yelling and recriminations. But one thing I learned yesterday, and good morning to um, John Burnside, city councillor, because I spent some time talking to him yesterday. And the thing is, all the councillors are there on the floor, and they don't all like each other, and they have competing agendas, and actually some of them actively dislike each other. So I went down to talk to John Burnside, and he sort of pulled me aside, and he was speaking in a voice so low that I could barely hear him, but it's because he didn't want to be overheard. But I also realized something, and he told me he listens from six to seven, so hopefully this makes him laugh, or doesn't end our friendship. Um, but he, he, I, I I noticed he has the ability to speak without moving his face. And I think that's just because he doesn't want anybody to see what he's saying, if they can read his lips or read his expression. Time for Test Tube Thursday, and we're joined this week by Ontario Science Centre senior researcher Walter Stoddard. Walter, good morning. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm okay. All right, so let's start with using... I, I've actually seen stuff about this, uh, about the idea if we were to put something in the air, like vapor or dust, that we could shield the planet from climate change. So what's the latest on that? Apparently blasting moon dust into space? I uh, Yes, and I, I, I've looked a little bit at, at the paper that they've published about that. So a, a group of physicists got together and looked at the problem and they've there's one variable that they thought they could correct which is the heating of the planet right so if we can throw some dust up there in the outer space reflect some of the sunlight back out then we have less heat coming in and so problem solved right <laughs> but uh i'm not convinced that it's that elegant a solution it's it's a it's an idea right we scatter moon dust out into space create a kind of dusty shield around the planet and now now we have less sunlight hitting the earth i i think there was a, a science fiction movie that, where that went very very bad <laughs> <laughs> okay um i'm always fascinated by anything about leonardo da vinci and apparently there's some new evidence that he may have understood gravity way ahead of the sort of pronouncement of the theory of gravity yes and what a beautiful bit of work that was done researchers at Caltech, if I remember correctly, what they, what they did was they found some of his drawings and so looking into his research and they said, okay, can we reproduce this? And so they created a physical model. So he went through this thought experiment and this thought experiment ends up in this drawing. And so they recreate the thought experiment as a physical experiment. And they say, look, it works. <laughs> and so I think that's really cool, right? He was in that process of doing exactly what Newton and ultimately Einstein did, right? looking at the physical world, 
looking at the way that things are actually responding and saying, okay, well, what does that mean? And projecting out into, before he had an understanding of inertia, he was drawing this understanding of, of gravity. So I think that's kind of cool. It, it is it is quite brilliant, and it's it's cool that they were able to create this physical representation of his drawing and, and show the reality of it. Okay, so when we talk about Newtonian physics, we're giving credit to the wrong guy? <laughs> well, uh, it, maybe not exactly the wrong guy. And, and in fact, Newton himself gives credit to people that, that he referenced. He didn't work in a vacuum, right? So we, we see Newton sharing credit, which is good. I think he's often quoted as saying he stood on shoulders of giants, or maybe that was Galileo. But at any rate, <laughs> the idea that others have thought deeply about this before is, is very true. Don't know if you're watching The Last of Us, but this next story kind of scares me. Apparently, a deadly mushroom that is finding new ways to reproduce. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so the important thing here is that this is this is an invasive species, and they think that it may have come over it, into into the BC area. There's not a lot of it, but it it came over. I think it was in 1990 something on wood imported from Europe. So it's it's not that it's a one of the deadliest known mushrooms to man <laughs> and it's not native and it looks like that it's found a way to reproduce with native species of mushrooms so mushrooms are really neat in the way that they reproduce like they, they do it asexually they bud and they split but they also they will share dna uh with each other and so there's a, a form of sexual reproduction and so they share dna this deadly mushroom has found a way to share dna with other mushrooms to reproduce itself and that's it's it's fascinating to see sure but it it, it does put a big warning on how important it is to to be very mindful of the mushrooms that, that are out there because some of them are are poisonous and, and sure. you have to be you have to be careful okay so is this going to kill us all no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good to know. No. No. I don't. I don't believe it's going to kill us all. I think. I think so long as we're we're diligent in its removal and we're very careful not to not to eat it. One last science story for us. We're talking with Walter Stoddard from the Ontario Science Center, and that's about safest seats on a plane. Since almost everybody gets killed in a plane crash, how can there be a safe seat? Uh, yes. And in looking up, <laughs> looking up this particular story and doing some research into it, it was based on 17 crashes there's not a lot of, a lot of yeah. deep information in it and I, I think our uh, our authorities will say there is no safer seat on a plane but it's good to know that they're all very safe when you think of the statistics right and you compare them to other crashes that could happen but based on the study what they came out with was that there's a certain area of the plane in those 17 crashes that was less likely to result in a death by just a fraction of a percentage though. And then I think it was towards the back and away from the center aisle. But they also said, they said that so much is dependent on the type of crash, where you land. If you're near an exit, statistically, you can get out that exit before anything happens to the wreckage, right? So there's so many variables that it's it's an interesting discussion. And they, they did reasonable math with what limited material they had, but you have to understand that all seats are more or less equally safe. Okay, because it does sound a bit like a, a pointy-headed math exercise, aside from you know instructions on how to book a seat. That's right. It is because they they admit in their own 
in, in some of the articles that I saw, they point out that in some of the crashes, those that survived and those that didn't were really randomly distributed through the plane. And so there's, there's other things going on there besides which seat you're in. Okay. Uh, just a couple of minutes left, but uh, what's going on at the Ontario Science Centre these days? What do you got? Well, these days we're actually, we're very excited. The Haudenosaunee Lacrosse program is, is putting on workshops for us. The Creators Game, there's, there's zones in which you can, you can make your own lacrosse ball out of deer skin. You can experiment with a lacrosse stick and as well as enjoy some of the, the history and the storytelling and information around the origin of, of lacrosse. It's, it's a, a, a fantastic Family Day weekend event, uh, and, and we're hoping that people will, will take it in as well as with our exhibition that's temporary from the from Montreal Science Center. They, they put together an exhibition on indigenous ingenuity, and it's a what a what a wondrous exhibition. So it's a great great thing to take in both the workshop and the exhibition. Good stuff, Walter. Thank you so much. My pleasure.